0: My name is Jo Wise and this is Wise Women, a podcast released on the full moon where I ask women to share the wisdom they found in their greatest life challenges. And new for this series, I also ask them to name the men that supported them through their darkest moments. This podcast is released every full moon because in ancient times, our female ancestors would synchronize their cycles with the cycles of the moon to make their connection, their creativity, their cleansing, even more powerful. And the full moon is a wonderful time for communication and expression. My hope with these podcasts is that the story you're about to hear brings healing to the woman who's sharing it, knowing it's being heard by her sisters, but that parts of the story may resonate with your experiences and bring healing to you as well. Welcome to another episode of Wise Women. In this conversation, I talked to Jojo Mater about an extraordinary woman called Polly Higgins, who gave up a successful career in law to become a lawyer for Mother Earth. However, at the age of just 50, Polly died on Easter Sunday, 2019. In this podcast, you'll hear Jojo talk more about her connection to Polly in life and death.
1: You know, with Polly, it didn't actually, and I said this at the funeral and and I stand by it, it didn't feel like a departure. It felt like a transformation. I am 100% convinced that she is still around. You know, she she wasn't about to abandon that mission just because she wasn't physically
0: here. And you'll hear more about the massive Stop Ecocide campaign that they built together and that's still ongoing today. But first, I asked Jojo to explain more about Polly and her mission.
1: So Polly was a lawyer who was on the verge of kind of hitting the big time, if you like, as a barrister um, in London around 15 years ago, when she had a kind of epiphany moment, if you like, at the conclusion of a a case that um, she'd done very well in, and she'd been told, you know, that's it, you know, you're going to hit the big time now. And she found herself looking out of the window at the Royal Courts of Justice. um, and She was looking out the window over London and just had this kind of moment where she felt, well, it's not just you know, my clients in this courtroom that that need representation, it's actually the earth that needs a good lawyer. And she asked herself a simple question, you know, how do we create a legal duty of care for the earth? And that question was to take her on a quest that was to last the rest of her life. And indeed, her last 10 years were dedicated exclusively to promoting and progressing the concept of ecocide as an international crime in other words making large-scale destruction of nature illegal on an international basis because she saw that as the key to transforming the way we relate to the earth and stopping the harm that she was seeing and all of us of course are now seeing playing out across the world
0: Now, that's a huge decision to make to step back from a successful career at the bar. Do you know if it was difficult, Jojo, for Polly to set aside her personal, professional agenda and launch this campaign for a much higher purpose? Do you know what? I don't
1: think she ever had any doubts about it. I think, it, you know, once that that question had kind of formed itself in in her psyche, if you like, it was, it, you know, it became a kind of no-brainer for her. She, it, it was something that she literally threw herself into. And actually, funnily enough, I remember this, this just little, a little fact that she mentioned to me is that she was researching so intensely for the first three months, looking into, you know, how could this be approached. She said she didn't wash her hair for three months. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was
1: that extreme, you know. It was, it was, it was, it was this, you know. It was, it was really, it was the. Um, Discovery of you know a life purpose and a mission, and you know she kind of came out of those months of research you know in a, in a very different space. And I don't think she ever actually missed her courtroom career.
0: Well, one of the things I admire about her, and I'm imagining that this came from her courtroom career, is her ability to stay so measured, to talk sense, and to deliver wisdom on such an emotive subject. Uh, like climate change, which gets a lot of people very, very angry. But Polly, I'm not saying it didn't get her angry, but whenever she talks about it, she delivers it in such a way where you listen more intently because there's no hidden agenda there. I
1: think that's absolutely right. I mean, something that was deeply striking about her in her way of communication and possibly unique but certainly very unusual she had this extraordinary ability to make people feel safe mm. in a conversation you know no matter what their point of view so they could you know they could effectively be coming from somewhere very different from from her position and yet she never you know people never felt threatened by her but they did you know, but, but but she did inspire people and kind of wake people up in a way. And so, you know, I, I mean, one example, you know, she she was actually giving a talk in Sweden to um, you know, a group of, of actually various sort of representatives of NGOs and also um, companies. And there was a there was a delegation there from China um, who were doing some work over there, and one was representing an energy company, and you know he popped up his hand in the question time and said, "You know, are you saying to us that you know my company is just thinking of going into fracking? Are you are you telling us that fracking is an eco side?" And you know, at the time, I mean, you know, if that had been me at the time, I was you know a sort of anti-fracking activist. I would have been, yes, of course, you know, it's a, of course it's an eco side. Actually, what what Polly said was it was was really interesting. What she said was, well. I'm not an expert, and if fracking is safe, then of course, you know you're, you'd be fine. She said, but what I can say is that I've visited the areas of the US where this has been going on. And this is what I witnessed. And she then described, you know, the disintegration of infrastructure, you know, these, the sort of health systems, you know, stretched to breaking point, you know, community relationships breaking down with the sort of influx of these, um, you know, oil companies and that, you know, would come and come and go and sort of leave chaos in their wake and, you know, the pollution issues and so on. And she just spent a few moments kind of going through this and 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 said you know well that, that that's that's what i can tell you from my own experience and you know half an hour later this chap actually came up to her sort of after the talk and and just sort of shook her hand and said i'm going to go back to my company and tell them they need to go into solar and so you know in just with that that way that she took that question and that way that she was so personal and un, non-judgmental about the response actually completely transformed that person's position and this was something that she had an extraordinary ability to do. She also had an, this amazing effect on people. I mean, the number of people I've met in the last few months who have sort of confessed to me that they kind of fell in love with her when they met her, you know, and, and, and that might not necessarily have meant romantically, but but, you know, she had this extraordinarily inspirational effect on people where, you know, she would have a conversation with them and they would turn their whole life around.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, really quite extraordinary. Well, she was so feminine as well, wasn't she? When you consider the the line of work she was in as a lawyer, she still managed to carry, like you say, and I only know her through watching um, YouTube videos, really, but she carries this wisdom and this safety and this gentleness with ease.
1: Absolutely. And and she, she was always incredibly feminine and, and terribly sexy as well. I mean, <laughs> just, just, you know, extraordinarily um, warm and strong feminine presence. And I think in that way you know a wonderful role model for you know how women can be in what is still a man's world (laughs) Mm.
0: I think I love as well her ability to talk sense about these issues uh you know she's not again well I'm talking about as if she's in the present tense um but she wasn't against industry she wasn't against profit and she wanted everybody still to survive but not only that to thrive
1: Oh, very much so. I remember her saying to me, Jojo, you know, I, I really don't like this word, word sustainable. You know, she sort of could. It's not that she didn't understand this as a sort of baseline or whatever, but, but she said, I really don't like this word sustainable. She said, if somebody said to you, you know, how's your relationship and your response was sustainable, <laughs> you know, it'd be like, well, that's clearly not a very good relationship.
0: <laughs> um, that's a really you know, good point.
1: <laughs> so she said, you know, we shouldn't be aiming for just surviving and sustaining. We should be aiming for thriving. She was always uncompromising in what she aimed for.
0: Yeah. And she set herself high standards too, didn't she? And people around her high standards. I heard one of her uh, colleagues recently say that Polly used to tell her off for saying um.
1: <laughs> That's quite funny, really, because Polly actually had her own ways of, of making the different, you know, different kind of thinking noises in interviews that were just slightly less obvious than um. <laughs> but she was absolutely driven. She didn't. She literally lived and breathed what she was doing. She didn't take time off, if you like. I mean, it's not to say that she didn't go away. You know, she she and her husband would go on holiday and so on. But she always had it with her in a way. And I realized this when we we actually went away together uh, early last year. Uh, we went to Spain and it was it was in, it was intended for a celebration of, of one of our dear colleagues because it was her birthday. But it also was a kind of working holiday, if you like, because we ended up giving talks and, and um, you know, it. Discussing with people in Spain how they could potentially take this campaign forward, you know, and and that, you know, that was always present. And what I realized is that, I mean, you have to have an extraordinary fortitude and uh, dedication to do that. And while, you know, in my case, having literally inherited the campaign, you know, I am working well over full time on this for me because I have a family and I have children in a sense that aspect creates a sort of natural break from work for me, if you like, Mm. you know, because hanging out with my children. I mean, believe me, my daughter would get very annoyed with me if I did nothing but talk about ecocide to her. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, in a sense, I kind of have that enforced balance to a certain extent. But with Polly, it really was an all day, every day thing. I mean, I remember somebody once saying, oh, we're going to we're going to hold a little celebration for Polly. And, you know, we'll just invite her to come along and have drinks and chat. And, you know, she can set the side stuff to one side. And I said, you don't you know, I said to myself internally, you don't know who you're dealing with here. <laughs> you know, this is not something she ever sets to one side. You know, it's part of who she is.
0: Fortitude such a good description of for Polly. And that kind of leads me on to her illness as well, because this happened very suddenly, didn't it, in terms of how quickly her illness progressed. Can you talk us through that?
1: Yes, indeed. She she got what we thought was, you know, a, 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 a tough chest infection at the very beginning of this year. She'd spent some time away, staying somewhere that was a beautiful building, but was a bit old and drafty. And she came back with this kind of chest infection and it just wouldn't shift. So, you know, she, she was sort of coughing and she'd had a lot of asthma as a child. So, you know, there, there was a little bit of a history of kind of chest issues, but it just seemed really strange. She sort of seemed to recuperate a little bit and then, you know, you should lose her energy again. And, you know, these sort of respiratory issues. So she ended up going out to a, um, a clinic that dealt, that specialised in respiratory conditions. Now, the thing with Polly is she was also really good at looking like she was on top of everything so it was often difficult to know if she was suffering and if she was how much because she was always she was presented so so well and so buoyant you know because that was her kind of personality and when she went to for the first consultation at this clinic the doctor gave her some advice and things she, she should take and told her where she could go to pick the things up. And she just sort of gently said, well, actually, I had trouble getting into this room. I'm not sure I'm going to make it to your supply store. And the doctor at that point kind of sat up in his chair and went, whoa, okay, let's start again. We need to do some tests. And they ended up sending her into hospital. And finding that she had a whole bunch of serious chest um, conditions, if you like, pericarditis, uh, pneumonia, um, pleurisy, you know, all of these things, you know, any one of which are quite serious. And they were quite shocked. And they said, well, look, you know, this is stuff that we deal with. Obviously, this is a a, quite a serious case Um, and they gave her the treatments that they knew should normally um, make a difference in those circumstances and she wasn't responding quickly enough and they basically said look there's something else going on here we need we're going to need to do some further tests and at that point they did tests for cancer indicators and they found that she was off the scale you know, on on a rating where, you know, a normal person would have a rating of five. She had a rating of 50. Oh so um, and they literally said to her, you need to get on a plane now and go home, because if we send you to hospital here, they probably won't let you go home. Um, and I met her off the plane and we We took her home and the very next day she went into the local hospital here and had a whole series of tests. And literally within the day, they sat her down and said, we think you're beyond what we can do already. You've got about six weeks.
0: So at that point, Jojo, did you start to see Polly kind of slow down then and think, hang on a minute, something, you know, with me now needs to be looked at. Did you start to see any of that creep in with her? (laughs)
1: <laughs> Not really, no. <laughs> um, in the sense that, yeah, yeah. I mean, she she was clearly, um, you know, Polly just approached everything head on. So she was like, "Whoa, if this is actually," I mean, I remember us sitting there and just kind of looking at each other and going, "Oh my god, this is nuts!" And and you know, literally, you know, what are we going to do? And. We actually had, because of the, the kinds of connections we have and the kinds of networks we have, we knew that there were going to be ways to approach this that would not be conventional. So, you know, we, we were immediately kind of going, right, okay, we need to get some information about, you know, what we can do at this late stage of cancer, you know, what can help what, you know, all these sorts of things. But the first thing that we talked about uh, was that Polly wanted people to know. And we contacted, probably initially, we contacted, obviously, immediate close colleagues. And that was quite difficult for them, <laughs> understandably. Mm. But the next thing was we put out an email and we put out an email to our kind of immediate networks of a few hundred people, if you like, the people we would invite to a summer party, you know, so our sort of closer networks. And, and actually, just at the last moment, when I was about to send out this, this email, and it was really quite frank, you know, it was like, you know, this is what's happening. You know, conventional medicines basically said there's nothing they can do. We think that there's probably, you know, there are probably other approaches we can take. Um, and you know, if if anybody can deal with this in a, in an amazing way, it's going to be Polly, and put this out. And just at the last moment before I sent that email, I thought, do you know what, I'm going to add George Mombio, the journalist, onto that list. And you know, we we'd always kept George updated with what we were doing, and he he has always always been supportive, but. He's a very busy man, and I didn't expect to hear back from him for three or four weeks, which is his normal response time, given the amount of emails he gets. But in this instance, he responded immediately and said, oh, my God, this is devastating. You know, I've been meaning to write something about Polly for ages, and I want to do it now while she's still with us. And it was funny because we had this huge inpouring of um, support and grief and suggestions and love and, you know, the whole gamut. And I said, and George says he's going to write an article. And she just laughed and grinned. She said, that's the best news yet. <laughs> you know, because she was like, she was so, she was, she was deeply, deeply pragmatic. She was like, if me being, you know, on the edge, or, you know, at death's door is what go- is going to bring attention to what we're doing, let's milk it. She literally used that phrase. Goodness. Um, so, you know, she was, she just was, she just wanted to put everything towards taking forward what she was, you know, here to do, what she saw herself as here to do. So, um, and actually that was extraordinary because that article came out a few days later and it, you know, had a really big effect on kind of, um, you know, raising awareness of what Polly had been doing for so many years and what we were, what we were still doing effectively, that there was a live campaign that we had launched, you know, in 2017 that was, you know, that was still going and that was work that was ongoing. Um, so that was that was very <laughs> yeah it was it was interesting it really kind of encapsulated her, her attitude i think but she did in in the sense of kind of when you said did she did she go on herself she, what she did do and i think this is extremely sensible was she said right you know i'm i'm staying home <laughs> you know um i'm going to focus you know all the kind of you know all my energy on looking after myself and and let's you know let's take the best of all the advice that we get um, and work. We, we worked with all sorts of things from sort of supplements to, I mean, as, as you probably know, we, we had um, a couple of really huge intentional
0: communities focusing also. Yeah, it was part of, of it. The, the of, tune-ins, they were amazing. Yeah,
1: I mean, they were phenomenal. And, you know, these these kind of meditative moments for uh, at six o'clock every evening, um, UK time. Um, and, you know, what was extraordinary was that in those last few weeks, you know, one might have expected to see quite a fast physical deterioration. In fact, that isn't what happened. She did end up going into hospital with, you know, complications. And you know, she never actually came back out. But what was extraordinary was that to look at her, she didn't look like someone who was dying of cancer, she looked like someone who was a bit tired. You know, I mean, it was quite extraordinary, actually, you know, right up until the last 48 hours, she actually looked kind of tired, but all right, you know, which is not what you would expect. And it was only really in those last 48 hours that she had that kind of drained, you know, that, that look that people, anyone who's encountered late stage cancer will be familiar with. Um, and at that point, it was a very fast deterioration. But but for, and we, we think that all of that support, that energetic support, the nutritional support, the you know, the, the supplements and all of these things, we think actually kept her going in a way, you know, energetically. So, I mean, her energy was hugely strong still, you know, in, in a way that was quite extraordinary right up until the last minute.
0: So Jojo, away from your work with her, so away from the professional side of things, how mm. were you taking this news?
1: Do you know what it was It was quite extraordinary it was I mean <laughs> I guess um I was focusing very much on you know miracles have happened you never quite know what's going to you know what's going to transpire and and of course you know from the conventional side they were like look you know this is spreading it is getting worse let's be realistic about this kind of thing and so of course there were things that needed on a practical level to be sort of put in place so that that had to be done but at the same time in a sense what what the, the sort of very specific nature of this situation was that I had worked so closely with Polly for four four and a half years that when she was you know effectively because she was now out of action I had to run the whole campaign so I had to basically be doing what both of us had previously been doing at the same time as being one of only three people that Polly was actually allowing to visit her you know to to, to look after her. So what actually happened was, you know, my life went into just overdrive because I was having, you know, I was, I was, I was spending several days, several hours every day with Polly. But then the rest of the time I was flat out running what was, you know, what, what else we were doing and keeping the communications going with her community. We set up this, this, um, facebook group called extra polydocious <laughs> <laughs> um it, it, which was a, an amazing forum where people were sending in the most incredible support and you know things to amuse her things to entertain her things to sort of you know heartfelt appreciation and you know inspiration that they'd received from her. i mean it was just amazing this kind of community right you know from around the world and it's still and going now isn't I, it I, it is it is actually i mean i had literally haven't had time to look at it for the last yeah, few is. weeks because it's just been so busy but it's still going and um and so that you know, I was having to sort of manage that communication, you know, as in as in what was happening with her to the world and to her community, and and all of that. And I mean, I quite honestly did barely had time to take breath, let alone sit down and kind of you know get upset. It, it was it was literally, it was quite crazy. And and, and there was also this. It, I mean, you you probably remember. I mean, in in April there was the first rebellion in London with Extinction Rebellion, and. there was a a group of activists who did an action at the Shell building and actually dedicated it to Polly. And, you know, all of this, you know, in fact, the last kind of work meeting, if you like, sort of saying in quote marks, but the last kind of work meeting we had was with some of those activists who were planning that. And we knew at the time, that we were going, we were needing to rebrand the campaign. It had started life as something called mission life force, which we kind of liked, but it was, it was quite sort of star Wars. And actually it didn't, it didn't communicate that well. So we knew we were needing to make it something much more straightforward. And when we heard about this action about the rebellion coming up, we literally, kind I remember us kind of looking at each other going, Oh my God, that rebrand we were talking about, we're going to have to do that now, aren't we? Because actually this needs to be on the streets at the rebellion with the message we need, which ultimately was stop ecocide, which is what the, you know, what the campaign is now called is literally does what it says on the tin, if you like. Um, but we ended up with this, you know, I then ended up having to supervise this entire rebrand, a new website and everything within two weeks, while Polly was ill and in hospital and in time for the rebellion. So, you know, on top of everything else. So it was just, I mean, I seriously think it was the most bonkers two weeks of my life. Goodness. And that week was really quite an extraordinary week because that was Polly's last week and she was seeing all of this happening kind of obviously at a remove she was seeing it on her computer she was seeing it on Facebook she was seeing you know little videos and 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 these sorts of things And she was tickled pink by this this bit of graffiti that appeared on a shell building that said for Polly with a big heart on it. (laughs) Um, And she kept asking to review that one. But yeah, so all of of that was happening. um, And we were literally seeing the message that she had been carrying for that decade emerging onto the streets of London in her last week. And there was this moment on the Sunday, I mean, actually... I think the day before Easter, so the Saturday, we realized that there wasn't a lot of time left because she'd really started to deteriorate quite quite strongly. And, you know, a mutual friend of ours actually said, you know what, Polly always had a great sense of timing. My sense is that if she's going to go, it's going to be Easter day. And sure enough, by that point, she'd kind of slipped beneath. I mean, I don't think actually she'd gone beneath consciousness, but she couldn't anymore speak or open her eyes. But she could hear what we were saying. And so, in this, on that last day, there was this sense that um, you know, the, you know, there was a sense that the you know it, it was imminent. Um, and her husband and I had spent thirty six hours with her non nonstop. And I I had literally just popped home to have a shower, and I was going to come back into into the hospice. And uh, Anita, who works with us, a very dear colleague who'd who'd also worked with us for years, she suggested, which was a brilliant suggestion. Why don't we, you know, we let the, the leaders of the Extinction Rebellion in London know what's happening, um, that, you know, that she's kind of on her way out. Because we were, there was going to be this tune in at six o'clock, because everybody was tuning in at six o'clock with Polly, right, or her community. And so we thought, well, why don't we get the whole of London, you know, the whole rebellion to tune in at the same time? And and so, I, I you know, I, I got home and I was contacting them and I just received word back to say, yes, we're going to announce this on stage at six o'clock. And literally within minutes, I had a message from the hospice to say that she'd passed away.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it was this most extraordinary moment because, you know, I mean, I had, literally, I had tears streaming down my face and I was sitting there thinking I wasn't, you know, my first thought was, oh, my God, I wasn't there. My second thought was, actually, I'm exactly where I need to be because this was like, 20 to six, you know, and I was like, you know, I've just got time to let them all know what's happened. So that actually when people tune in at six, what they're here, what they know, what they hear is that she's actually passed on. And at the time when I, you know, in the previous weeks, you know, in the back of my mind, I've been thinking, my God, how am I going to do this conversation? You know, how am I going to, you know, here's this community that are all dedicating all this incredible energy to Polly and sending her, you know, sending her this healing intent every day. It's like, goodness, you know, as and when she goes, how am I going to break it? And actually what happened at the time was it was extraordinary. It literally just, I mean, I was on a keyboard. It wasn't my pen. It was my fingers. But you know, it literally just came out. And, and you know, I just ended up saying, you know, tune in at six. She'll be there. She'll be everywhere. And actually it was this most extraordinary moment. It, I mean, it, it almost felt like the Polly's kind of spirit, having kind of heard, you know, through the ether, they're going to announce me on the stage in London, just kind of went, right, I want to be there. <laughs> And 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 actually, that you know that that moment, that six o'clock moment, and I, I remember I had a friend with me, and I was just sitting there with these tears pouring down my face. But the feeling was extraordinary. It was huge. It was joyful. It was light. You know, it was it was just I don't know what I expected, but it wasn't that, and it was amazing. And 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 I know that I wasn't the only person that felt that. I had so many people feeding back um, after that that moment, and 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 basically expressing something very similar. And it really was quite, quite extraordinary.
0: Well, I've heard stories as well, Jojo, that when she passed, she actually passed with um, almost, was it a smile on her face?
1: Yes. Yes, she did. And and actually, when I, I saw her her body afterwards, and she did have this, I mean, it was almost mischievous. You know, she had this extraordinary expression. And, and the nurses at the hospice said that it was really quite rare, <laughs> you know, that you see people in that way. But it, it somehow felt so very poly. She had such a sense of mischief and such a sense of fun. And one of the things that we always used to do together was organise parties. I mean, you know, we literally, I mean, apart from feeling that, you know, when we when we met and started working together, we, that we'd found, you know, a true soul sister working partner, you know, but we were kind of party sisters. You know, we we, we, we we used to throw these big fancy dress parties twice a year, you know, for the whole community. And, you know, it was always such fun. You know, she had such a kind of sense of, of um, yeah, just delightful sense of fun about her. And, and seeing that that was kind of actually there on her face was quite
0: amazing. <laughs> yeah, she's coming across as exceptionally joyful in everything you say, Jojo. And I imagine... There's an awful lot of good things that have come from this. But ultimately, there's a friend in your life that's missing now. So has the grief hit you yet? Because it's really only been six months, hasn't it, since the time that we're we're speaking now. It's only been six months. Have you found that you're grieving for her?
1: It's been you know, I think in the first three months i I barely had time to stop for breath, let alone really feel anything you know in terms of really letting it sink in Um, it was almost three months to the day after she passed away that i finally was able to really let go and have a great big howl which is ultimately what happened and was really sorely needed but in the immediate um sort of weeks and months though actually this extraordinary thing happened because when when she got ill people a lot of people responded saying you know how what's going to happen to the work without polly how is this going to continue without polly And actually what happened when she passed away was that there was a huge upsurge of support. I mean, what was a very small team, literally Polly, myself and two or three volunteers pretty much, you know, is now, you know, we've now got a campaign team of, you know, more than 16. We've got more than 50 volunteers. We've got thousands of sort of signed up members. And we've got an international team doing the core work that has also twice the size that it was. So it's all of that growth was starting to happen immediately afterwards. And so from my personal perspective, I didn't have much time to really sort of feel what had happened. And what I didn't realise and what became very obvious when I finally did feel safe and tired, I think enough to actually really feel it, was that I had kind of compartmentalised my memories of her. So the ones that were to do with the mission, if you like, with the work, were all present and, you know, helping to carry forward what was happening. What I realised when I finally actually began to cry, if you like, was that The personal memories, all the hours we spent together, all the fun we had, all the parties that we organised, all the kind of, you know, just the giggles and the, you know, all of that had been somewhere else and I hadn't noticed. And so when it was finally able to come up, it was a bit like going through a wormhole because all of these memories just came rushing at me. And I was just like, oh my God, she's gone, you know, and it was just, oh, it was, yeah, it was extraordinary. (laughs) It was really pretty full on it did make it, it made a huge difference. And I, in terms of, you know, really that cathartic sort of shape of grief, if you like, I've just had that really one incredible intense session. And then there are moments when, you know, there are little tears about little particular things that kind of emerge. But, you know, and and of course, with grief, it's so personal. It's so different from person to person. You know, I'm very open to the fact that, you know, there may be other moments where it really hits me. And, I'm you know, if if that's what happens, that's what happens. Mm. But what I will say is that, you know, with Polly, it didn't actually. And I said this at the funeral and and I stand by it. It didn't feel like a departure. It felt like a transformation in the relationship. You know, I mean, I am 100 percent. Convinced that she is still around, you know, that she, you know, this, she wasn't about to abandon that mission just because she wasn't physically here. In fact, it's almost been like, I mean, some of the, you know, the way that things have grown so fast, the connections that have been made, um, you know, the, the almost kind of absurd level of synchronicities that have been going on. I'm sure she's got a hand in it somewhere. <laughs> you know, there's a sense that, you know, I almost, there's part of me that almost felt like maybe her spirit got to the point where it's like okay one place and time is too restrictive I need to be everywhere yeah um you know because actually you know it really does feel like you know her spirit is with us and also this is a really I think extraordinary thing about her as well is that she was very conscious that she was the figurehead at, at, while she was here she was very conscious she was the figurehead for this work but she was also not attached to that in the sense that she's not interested in I mean it may happen but she's not interested in going down in history as the person who xyz you know that's not what she's about she was about getting the job done and so in a sense it's like you know now I'm kind of because the audiences that I'm now able to reach you know are starting to grow you know there are many who you know, there are many who do remember her and her, you know, and, and who for whom she's this in, amazing figurehead. And there are many more who have no idea who she was, but who deeply relate to what we're doing. And she would be delighted by that. You know, she would not be here saying, Oh, well, you need to say that it was my idea. She was never attached to that. No. Um, you know, and she used to occasionally get these communications from people quite amusing, really, you know, communications saying, hmm, you know, miff, people who are obviously miffed saying I thought of Ecoside first kind of thing. And, <laughs> just laugh and she'd say well that's great what have you done about it yeah you know it's like (laughs) exactly it was always about taking the work forward and my sense is that she's absolutely doing that whatever dimension she's in and I know this is going to sound a little bonkers but I sometimes have people telling me that they've you know had a dream about Polly or they've kind of somehow been in connection with Polly and they'll say she told me to tell you this and sometimes they're really specific and stuff that really only Polly could know. So, you know, there's there's <laughs> yeah, there's definitely more than me you know, more than meets the eye kind of
0: thing. (laughs) Well, I haven't got a story like that, but I remember reading about her in March. I was on holiday in Bali, actually, and I was reading a book and I got to a section about Polly and I was like, oh my God, this woman's amazing. I need to speak to her on this podcast when I get back. And that was March. So when I got back, all this, and I started to look into her work and stuff, um, I was so shocked to find out what I found out. But, and again, this might sound a bit woo-woo, I really believe, I really believe this, that she's orchestrated our conversation somehow.
1: That wouldn't surprise me one bit.
0: Yeah, I really, I could, I could feel it. <laughs> there was just this feeling, Jojo, and uh, all these, again, synchronicities happened, which led me to you and somebody putting me in touch with you and getting this to happen. So this message just has to keep spreading and keep spreading. And I'm going to come back to that in a second, Jojo, because I want to give a mention to how people can become earth protectors. But before I do that, the whole point of this podcast is about you sharing your wisdom about a challenge in your life. And I know this is a very unique challenge, but have you got any wisdom to share with other women who might be listening now relating to this in some way?
1: Gosh, I mean, I think for me it is about having, you know, a really, when I say a broader perspective, I also mean ultimately a multidimensional perspective because, as I say, I have such a strong feeling that she's still, that Polly's still with us. And, you know, my sense is that, you know, death, and I I said at the funeral and I stand by it, that, you know, death Polly... Um, was simply, in a way, the next chapter. And I think that if we're able to, to overcome the fear of death, both for ourselves, but also you know, the fear of losing people, this sense of, of knowing that on some level they're not lost. I mean, for example, I haven't, I haven't actually visited her grave very often. I've been once or twice. But you know, for me, that's not where she is. And I think that we all have a purpose to our lives. And I think that, you know, working with Polly helped, you know, was, you know, me finding mine, if you like. And and, and I felt like in a sense, it was a, a sort of a four year training for taking on what I've now taken on. But my sense is that, you know, there is no real thing as there's no there's no real such thing as coincidence. You know, the the meetings we make, the the people we connect with, the people we lose are all part of. A larger pattern. So for me, it helps me to kind of place myself within, you know, a wider, a wider purpose and a wider story. And I think it's interesting. Um, I've, I've, we just in a in a sort of team meeting the other day. Um, we did a kind of go round and realizing that actually every single person there had been kind of, if you like, called to make the connection, just as you just described, called to make the connection with us, either with Polly or with myself. Um, and that, by its very nature, what we're doing is therefore something that is, I mean, in a way, is quite kind of cutting edge in the sense that it's a, an organizational structure that is not traditional, that is not hierarchical, that doesn't have specific job descriptions, but that is that that convenes itself around a purpose, so that when people recognise that purpose and they're drawn to it, they're then able to say, well, I, you know, I want to contribute to what you're doing. This is these are the skills I have, you know, put me to work. And that's a very different way of approaching things. And I think it is a way that has in mind this kind of larger patterning. Um, and I think that's something that I've really kind of taken from these last
0: few months. Wow. Do you know, all the way through that, I just had the most extreme goosebumps, everything you were saying. And I think um, <laughs> your summary of what we've been talking about is just perfect. Uh, in terms of us being multidimensional, not being so fearful about death, but also this whole put-me-to-work business. You know, what can I do mm-hmm. to be of service? Put me to work because now is the time to be put to work. Absolutely. Um, Jojo, I've got three quick questions to ask you, which I'm going to ask all women on this podcast, Series 2 of Wise Women. The questions have changed slightly, but I'm looking forward to asking those. But I can't let you go really without talking about becoming an earth protector, because this is one thing we can all do to be part of Polly's campaign, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. So uh, the way that we see uh, criminal law or make, making ecocide a crime is a protective thing. So, you know, your, your right to life, if you like, is protected by the fact that murder is a crime. In other words, I'm not going to kill you because that's illegal. Now, ecocide ha- has the same sort of role, if you like, in relation to the rights of nature. Um, obviously, nature should have rights as part of the you know greater earth community. To protect those rights, a criminal law is needed and ecocide is that criminal law. And so it's all about protecting the earth, which is why our campaign is about being an earth protector. So in order to support the, you know, literally directly support the kind of diplomatic and practical and legal steps that we're you know, working on to take this forward at the International Criminal Court, we've set up a trust fund. If Effectively, it's like a global crowdfund. And so to become part of that, it, you just gift into that fund and you become an Earth Protector. It's the Earth Protector's Trust Fund. And you can find that at our campaign website, which is stopecocide.earth. Um, and it's very simple. Take you two minutes and a fiver or more if you'd like. <laughs> to become part of this movement. And unusually, because it's based on a trust fund document, the the list is publicly visible. So for us, it's really, for example, it's lovely when somebody who's, you know, who has their own profile or their own network signs up because we're then able to say, look, they're on our list. <laughs> so that can be really, really lovely. And it's a very, very simple way and direct way of supporting and uh, easy to share with your friends as well, just to, just by sharing the website and say, I just signed up to this. You know, let's
0: make it a crime to destroy our beautiful planet. And I also think it's such a great idea, because there's so many people. I was only talking about this last night with a friend actually, who said that you know she's so worried about the planet but she doesn't know what to do. This mm. is the thing to do. And actually, I told her to become an Earth protector, so you would have been proud of me. <laughs>
1: Oh, fantastic. Now, this is it. And I think there are so many people that do feel disempowered. Yes. Um, and, and this is a, a way of doing something that corporations normally do. You know, we know that corporations kind of put all these funds into lobbying for laws. It's like, well, why don't we do that?
0: <laughs> well, Jojo, it's such an amazing campaign. And I was going to say, I wish you luck with it, but you don't need it because you've got Polly. <laughs> Exactly. (laughs) Right. Last few questions then for this podcast. I want to ask you just before you go, these three questions, just a really quick way of getting to know you really well, Jojo. So the first question, and it's changed a little bit from series one, is for your favorite quote. But I have to clarify this and say it doesn't necessarily have to be a formal quote. It could be just some words of wisdom that somebody gave you once that you've always remembered.
1: Yeah, I definitely have one of those. Um, I'm actually not sure where this originally came from, but it deeply resonates for me. And I I will honestly say that I live my life by it. And it's this one. Ships are safe in harbour, but that's not what ships are for.
0: Brilliant. I love that quote. And I can't remember who said it either, but I've heard it many times. Mm. And you say you live your life by it. Very much so.
1: I mean, in the sense that, you know, the number of times, I mean, I literally can't count the number of times when I thought, oh gosh, do I really want to do that? Do I really want to put myself out and do that? And then thinking, actually, you know what? I'm not here to stand in the background. I'm here to do what I can do. And I'm going to kick myself if I don't do that thing. <laughs> you know, so set sail, go out of the harbour, you know, do what you're actually built for. <laughs> There's
0: a great quote. Okay, next question. I believe really firmly, JoJo, that you can't talk about the divine feminine if you're not willing to talk about the divine masculine. You can't talk about Mother Earth if you're not prepared to talk about Father Sky. So mm-hmm. uh, last season, I asked women to talk about their most inspirational women. But this season, I want to ask women for their most inspirational men so for you who's been the most inspirational man in your life
1: i mean i think i probably mention two briefly in a way it doesn't matter about their names but one was a teacher at my school who actually it's interesting i'm going to come back to polly again just briefly with this because she was used to say that you have certain points in your life that are critical choice points where the choice you make will affect everything after that and this first um, man I'm thinking of was my art history teacher at school. And he was the first person to really challenge me. I did this thing where I, throughout school, my younger years, where I was kind of coasting on doing the minimum of, you know, minimum of work, minimum of effort. And he basically sat me down one day and said, look, we both know that you're much more talented than this we both know that you can do an awful lot better than you're doing why don't you just get off your ass and do it you know and and actually i just needed that challenge i needed somebody to say come on you know and actually that made a huge difference to me and 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 i really sort of went off in new directions and, you know, with a kind of different level of commitment to life generally as a result of somebody really challenging me like that. So that was one of those. And I felt like that was a critical choice point for me. It's like, okay, do I carry on coasting or do I really step up and you know, do something interesting? So that was one. And the other is a a very dear friend who I've known for sort of 20 years who in a sense has been a bit of a mentor and and, and has guided me through a number of those critical choice points, but always as um, a sort of, uh, what's the right word for it i mean i suppose mental is a good word but also you know kind of on a on a multidimensional level as well kind of recognizing you know the choices that i was making but also being deeply honest about them and for many many years he would say you know great what you're doing but it's not what you're here for um, and you know that so there was always that kind of voice if you like in the it's background quite humbling. Was, and actually uh, by profession he's a management consultant you know of an unusual kind but just always kind of, you know, sort of analyzing on quite a deep level what I was up to and what was working and what wasn't working and so on, but always supporting me in whatever I chose to do. And it was finally when I started working with Polly and he came to one of our parties and he sat down and he said, good to see you doing what you're finally supposed (laughs) to be doing. (laughs) You know, and it was, it was just that having that sort of that recognition, you know, that, you know, ability where someone could see You know, it was like I felt like, you know, he could really see the potential for what I could do and knew that it would come up at some point, but always was honest, critical and supportive at the same time. And for me, the best men are like that. Yes, (laughs) completely (laughs) honest, critical and supportive. And, you know, so that there's that real sense of having that intelligence and also that love behind me, you know, was has been amazing
0: it's i know you called him a mentor but it sounds almost like a spiritual director as well and i do feel jojo that we need to say both of their names the art teacher and the mentor <laughs> okay
1: well i'll give you their first names um so the <laughs> art teacher was called ken and uh, the mentor figure who is still a very very dear friend is called richard
0: brilliant okay and final question is about uh, a song really it can either be your you know your desert island disc i suppose or even uh, a song that sums up everything we've been talking about today
1: wow that's an interesting one because i mean i love music but i'm not one of these people that sort of has favorites however it's funny because i remember you said you were going to ask me this question and i was kind of and the song that i've actually had kind of playing in background in my mind ever since is one that really always makes me happy and it's it's a bob marley song it's the one called three little birds yeah don't worry Um, yeah don't worry about a thing because everything's going to be all right and you know there's this sense that you know we're living through this moment that is on one level, so desperately terrifying. And, you know, people are feeling all sorts of grief around what's happening with the world. And, you know, there's, there's, uh, you know, there's plenty to worry about if you wanted to worry. But as somebody once said to me, you know, if you worry about something, you're basically suffering twice.
0: Yeah, good one. <laughs> you know? That's a good quote as well. Um,
1: and so, you know, I love the way that this song, firstly, it's about, you know, don't worry or be happy, you know, everything's going to be all right. But also, it's about the little birds, it's about the birds, thing. you know, when it comes down to it, what's amazing, you know, nature is actually ultimately joyful, given half the chance, you know, and you know, so this, 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 just this, sense of the little birds on the doorstep singing a sweet song It just I don't know it just really spoke to me and I just thought yeah that, that that's the song that I'm gonna pick
0: <laughs> what a perfect choice as well because I, as I was saying uh, earlier I had quite an in-depth conversation last night about the Extinction Rebellion and about what's happening with you know the planet and it got quite heavy at times and I don't do this very often but I woke up in the night a little bit concerned I think oh my god this is You know, this is not good. So now hearing you say, Don't worry, Bob Marley, do you know what? That's a really good message to end with. But we've still (laughs) got to be serious and there's still work to do. I'm not saying there isn't Yeah, Yeah,
1: no, absolutely. But you know, when it comes down to it, what are we trying to salvage? What are we trying to protect? The
0: connection, the joy. That was Jojo Mater talking to me about Polly Higgins. If you want to find out more about becoming an earth protector yourself. Please visit www.stopecocide.earth. Coming up on Wise Women next time, Nikki Slade, who talks to me about how the power of chanting helped her through addiction and an episode of psychosis. Nikki is now the UK's number one Western-style kirtan leader. And also, talking of kirtan and mantra... In the following episode of Wise Women, after Nikki, I'll be speaking to Grammy-nominated Deva Primel. In the meantime, though, please leave your reviews for Wise Women on Apple Podcasts so other women can find these stories and benefit from the wisdom as well. I'll see you next time.